Thanks for tuning into the Bacon Warrior Podcast. Today, the boys and I talked about baseball, Kyrie Irving, and movies, and specifically the King of Staten Island and the Five Bloods. And then Trevor and Mitch joined us again to talk about The Empire Strikes Back. It's a fun show. Uh, Stay tuned. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not getting a haircut, I'm Spartan Dog 97. I'm joined. The boys are here. Lucas, Brett. What's going on, fellas? Not much. Excited. Go ahead, Lucas. No, go ahead, Brett. You're up. You're up. All right, no, man, I'm just excited to be here. It's nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> quarantine is uh, kind of over, so it's nice being able to get out. Some members of the podcast have gotten haircuts, and some of them have spent their time getting a green screen to show some uh, <laughs> some Twitter users. So, no, everything's going really well. Yeah, I went to Hobby Lobby because we can get our arts and crafts again, and they <laughs> didn't have the screen in, like um, – length so i had to go with width so i have a second half but i need to like sew it i know how to sew so i can just sew it together it doesn't it looks better than my old construction paper concoction but i need to figure out the lighting and everything and luckily cassie's a film school grad so she can come in here and slap some lights on and make it look better but that's all i've been up to (laughs) yeah you know i uh i've been golfing i uh you know i broke a club football okay and you know it wasn't that i was like (laughs) it wasn't that i was playing bad so like my buddy's birthday was on saturday right and his mom was gonna throw him a surprise party so she was like you guys need to get him out of the house while i set up so we decided to go golfing and you know we wanted to make sure he knew nothing about the party so you know we were all just like drinking on the course and stuff and like on the back nine We're like, let's do, one of them was like, let's do a scramble. And it's like those two guys versus me and the birthday boy. And the birthday boy's like fucked up, like just obliterated. And like, so I think the whole nine holes, we maybe used four of his shots total. So I was like, I was basically two on one for money. And I fucking hate losing money. So I hit. We're at a par three. I take out my pitching wedge and I hit it fat and I go, God damn it. And I, and I throw it. It hits the, it hits the metal post of like the, of like the golf cart windshield and just shattered. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I hit a, I hit a really bad shot a long time ago with one of my clubs and it was like one of my favorite hybrids. And I fucking just whacked it right into a tree in front of me and it just split in half right down the, like right at the middle of the shaft. That was awesome. Did you, so you lost, you lost money then, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I for sure. Yeah. I only lost by a hole, which was pretty, okay. in, but yeah, they were both, you know, they're both newer. Like I've been golfing since like 10th grade and they had just picked up the sport in the last like two years. But one of them is just like an epic shit talker. And, um, it just, it fucking, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it because like he, he would hit like, they would like putt in for par and I would have like a 40 foot putt for birdie. My partner's not making it because he can barely stand over the ball straight. (laughs) So like I, 
so, you know, I miss it by five feet. And he's like, oh, you couldn't put that one in, huh? I was like, you motherfucker, I'm going to murder you. So, yeah. Um, so let's get into the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we have Mitch and Trevor coming on. We're going to talk about Empire. Oh, um, the best perf- movie. Yeah, per- it's, it's, close, it's as close to a perfect film as can be. But, um, you know, we spent a few weeks kind of clamoring for sports news. And then in like the last 96 hours, like everything's kind of happened at once. <laughs> like everything so, does nowadays. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, nothing happened. Nothing will happen for a week and a half. And then just the whole world will like, the whole world lights on fire for 48 hours. So yes. that's cool. Let's start with baseball. Um, baseball if it happens this year is going to be some kind of bullshit condensed 48 game season. Just and don't, just don't play. It, well, I, I agree with the sentiment, but I think the problem is right. So here's, here's how I understand it. I read in an athletic article today. Let me, let me see if I can pull up who it's from, but basically the gist of the article was like, Owners, like right now, in the agreement with, okay, it was by Ken Rosenthal and Evan uh, Drellich. Um, basically, in the agreement that the players and the owners signed at the outset of the pandemic, um, it gave Rob Manfred emergency powers to enact a emergency schedule as he saw fit. So at any point in the near future, Manfred can say, we're going to play a 48 game season plus playoffs. The problem is that the owners are fearing that the players will file a grievance and win because they, because the owners aren't negotiating in good faith. Right the owners are just going to keep kicking the can down the road until Manfred can reasonably force a 48 game season and have it and have it work within the confines of the calendar. Because the way I understand it right now is that if Manfred were to, were to enact this emergency 48 game season, um, the players can file a grievance um, because you can, they could, fit in a 70 a 70-ish game season right now because that's how many days there are between like their proposed start date and whenever November or whatever. So that's where we're at. So, you know, all the people saying there's not going to be baseball this year, there probably is, but I would probably gear up for no baseball in 2022 because that's when the CBA expires. And if I'm the MLBPA, I am not negotiating fucking shit with these no. assholes. No, especially because I don't know if you mentioned how there's at least eight owners that don't want to play baseball this year. They've basically behind the scenes have said, nope, we're not playing. Um, so they're already acting in bad faith. Uh, I mean, as a Tigers fan, no baseball this year would be absolutely beautiful because mm-hmm. that means we're going to have another chance. I, I know when the NHL has a lockout, they do – a truncated lottery system. So I'm sure MLB would copy that and give the Tigers another shot at a franchise altering pitcher. Um, so that would be beneficial, but 
like you said, even if they play a, a ridiculous 48 game schedule, which it's beyond moronic, um, 2022, don't even think about baseball. It's not happening. Like <laughs> it's, it's just not, especially with if Rob Manfred, Manfraud, I think is uh, Lucas has termed him. Um, if he's still a commissioner. So I'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, it's getting to the point where this guy, the owners are going to have to replace this guy. He's such an abomination of a commissioner. I, I've never seen anything like it. I, I started this like man fraud when, um, I don't know how long it was after he came into office, but when my, one of my old, my old job, I used to be able to listen to like anything I wanted to during mm. the day, like Lebetard. That's when I became a big fan of his. And cause I hated sports radio until I listened to him. And he had Rob Manfred on because he's from Dan Levitard's, you know, in Miami, they are a Miami show. And this was right when Jeter took over the Marlins with that ownership group. And they, you know, they dumped Staten, they dumped Yelich. They, they basically just, you know, did another rebuild after it happened. What two times already yeah. two or actually three times before that. So, you know, there was just this interview where I don't think Levitard n- thought he was going to get legit answers out of this clown, but he was like, you know, it, there's documents that show you approved a fire sale. You know, you approved all this shit that happened and you're not supposed to. And Manfred was just like, I'm not going to answer this. I'm not going to, I didn't approve anything. Whereas it was literally fact that he signed stuff like he approved of it. And, you know, he just, there's a great clip that they still air every time the show is done for the day. Cause Dan just says, all right, thanks for coming on, Commissioner Manfred. And he goes, all right, bye. <laughs> he just so pissed at them, and they still play that. But I'm apathetic towards it. I, I don't care. I don't care because the longer this goes on, you're going to get lost in the shuffle when NHL and NBA playoffs come back. That's what I said last week. That's all I really have to say on it now. And I mean, the only cool thing is what if the – I know it'd be bad for the Tigers lottery picks, but what happened? Wouldn't it be funny if they were like a kick-ass team for forty-eight games? Yeah, like, actually, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually placed a bet on them on uh, Bavada. What's I their think, odds? I, you know what? Let me look that up. Um, it was something really good, so I just threw like five bucks on them. Let me pull those odds yeah, up for the listeners. And, you know, um, part of my take had Dallas Braden on yesterday, and he kind of brought up this good point where it's like whoever has the whoever has the best pitching staff is going to win the, is going to win the championship because basically hitters take like 60 games to find a rhythm. And if you're not even giving them 60 games, then it's just going to be, it's going to be a pitcher's league Mm -hmm. and you know, a three batter minimum kicks in this year where a pitcher has to face three batters, but games are going to take like five hours because they're going to be constantly changing pitchers you know, managers are going to be constantly gaming and shifting. And, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the worst nightmare for a commissioner who's basically hundred day promise was I'm going to speed up the game. And instead of embracing the things that make the game great, he instead chose this weird, you know, like, Oh, these damn millennials can't pay attention route of, <laughs> wanting to play baseball you know I was talking to my friend yesterday and I asked him his question I'm going to pose the same question to you 
if I gathered, if I was, you know, I'm a substitute teacher for, you know, I'm going to be a teacher or whatever. If I was subbing for a third grade class and, you know, third grade is probably when you start getting in or when you, when you're like into baseball, right? You get cards, right? That's when I was into baseball. My heaviest was third grade. Right. If I took a third grade class of 30 kids and I showed them a picture of Mike Trout over under 15 and a half kids know who he is. I don't, that's the, (laughs) that's the problem. (laughs) Like that's, that's baseball's biggest problem is that it's biggest star who fucking plays in the nation's second largest media market. It's zero exposure. (laughs) Like I, like I've said every time we talk baseball, Hockey didn't market their players for a long time. And when they did the sport, it's never going to be number one or number two, but it's still, it's way more enjoyable, but because you kind of know these players and I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, they marketed the shit out of Bonds and McGuire and Sosa and those, those guys are in the fucking hall of fame. You know, Mike Trout's a first ballot, but not many, like you said, not many people know who he is, and that's a damn shame because I think he's he's an incredible player. He's one of the best I've seen in a long time, like as a five-tool player. I think the problem for baseball, and, you know, it's it's kind of a problem for the other sports, but it's it, it's not as affected – they're not as affected is I think – I think the Moneyball era taught a lot of GMs the wrong lessons. You know, I think a lot of GMs saw what Billy Bean did in Oakland and instead of going, okay, we need to look for diamond in the rough talent and, and, you know, utilize the players we have and keep our, and we can be successful without having to try to outspend the goddamn New York Yankees best in analytics and right you can be you can be a formidable team and still and still you know be analytically sound and do all these things instead i think a lot of ownerships and gms saw we can make money and not spend any money on payroll like we'll still make money and you know like a third of the NBA is tanking, but the NBA is still fun to watch. You know, a th- uh, you know there were three NFL teams who are tank actively tanking every year, but the NFL is still fun to watch on a on a national scale. I gotta tell you, I don't give a fuck about baseball if the Tigers aren't competing. And I think I think that's baseball's main issue is that if your if your favorite team isn't in it, then you're not paying attention because the season's so long. It's such a slog there. And, you know, I'm not saying that 48 games is going to fix the MLB. I'm instead, I'm saying the opposite. Baseball should embrace what makes the sport unique. It should embrace the length. It should embrace the long schedule. You know, it should embrace those things. And instead they're just trying to, they're trying to be like other major sports when they're not. And it's actively hurting them. Yeah. Just so, come over it. <laughs> so from a sport that we know is, is going to come back 
at some point based on the schedule to another sport, um, the NBA. Um, Brett, you want to talk about this, so I'll let you steer the wheel for this conversation. Yeah, so really what I wanted to talk about was <clears throat> recently, really the talk about the NBA has been Kyrie Irving and how the NBA, they have their return to play. Uh, they're going to be returning on July 30th. Everyone's agreed to this. Kyrie Irving agreed to this as he's a member representative, even though he's done for the season. Um, but basically what's come out recently is that Kyrie Irving was not involved in a recent call with some of the uh, A-list players like Chris Paul, LeBron James, uh, Steph Curry, and apparently he was spited by that. So recently he's made efforts to kind of interject himself into the conversation as he always does, turn the narrative into something from we're going to return to play, we're going to be a, a united front in terms of pushing the Black Lives Matter movement forward, and he's come out and tried to say, no, we shouldn't even play basketball. And the comments that I really wanted to address was, um, were him saying, I would give up everything for the social justice movement. And really what I took from that was, I completely support Kyrie Irving. I support him 100% if he actually means what he said. But this guy is worth over $100 million. He's in his mid, mid to late 20s. If he really meant what he said, he would retire from basketball and he'd be on the front lines giving all the resources he can to this movement. And the fact that he is saying he would give up everything and how everybody else should as well. And I think Ed Davis from uh, who's playing on a contending team in Utah, he came out and said, well, it's easy for Kyrie Irving to say I would give up everything because he's sitting in a $30 million mansion Meanwhile, these other guys, they don't have that financial security of $100 million in the bank, $30 million mansion. Like These guys, they want to get back to play. So really, it's just the fact that Kyrie Irving, his whole career, he's just been this like loose cannon. I mean, he started off in Cleveland as just a normal guy, super talented, number one overall pick, became an NBA champion, then strangely demanded a trade right after. He goes to Boston. He says, I want to be here forever. I want to retire as a Celtic. And then turns on the whole roster, throws every rookie and young player under the bus, and then goes to Brooklyn. And now he's trying to turn the narrative of the NBA becoming a united front into Kyrie Irving's revenge tour. I mean, this guy, he's the same guy who said the earth is flat and truly believes it. So it just, my whole thing is, it feels like he's hijacking the movement. I mean, you have LeBron James, who's probably the biggest American athlete potentially of all time, who is going to have a national platform once the NBA returns next month. After every game, he's going to have his opportunity and voice to push forward Black Lives Matter movement. And Kyrie Irving is here because he's irritated he wasn't invited to a phone call that he's going to try to hijack the whole return to play thing. And he's sneaking in the media and trying to spread this narrative, how you can't protest and play at the same time, how everybody should give up everything and just be for this movement. So that's, those are really my thoughts. Um, just kind of want to hear what you guys think of Kyrie Irving saying that he's willing to give up everything for this movement. At the, but at the same time, he's, is he really going to do it? Yeah, I mean, the way I interpreted Kyrie's comments was, um, you know, he is the he's the vice president of the Players Association. So I think 
you know, he's using his platform to kind of speak on behalf of other, of other students, you know, of other players. And I think Patrick Beverly was right. It's like, if LeBron says we're playing, we're playing. Mm -hmm. So I think Kyrie was just, you know, was just trying to take a step back and kind of trying to get reassurance from the league office that, yeah, we'll be able to, you know, say what we want to say regarding this movement. Um, You know, I think, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I saw Shams tweeted today that players can, players can choose not to participate in this, in this postseason tournament. And, you know, I think that was probably giving them an out was, is probably the only way to do it going was probably the only way to do it from the beginning. And I, it's going to be interesting what happens when a co when a positive case comes up, you know, I, you know, what, um, what happens when a player, when a different player tests, tests positive, you know what I mean? Cause you mm-hmm. know, is it just is it over, or is that is that player in that team quarantined? What about their games? You know, I think that the NBA is so quick to move to Florida, which is quickly becoming a national hotspot for COVID. That I'm not sure what the plan is going forward. And you know, like I said last week, right? Like people are going to do what you let them do. So chastising people for going to restaurants that are legally open isn't productive, but Florida, you know, I think we can all agree that Florida opened way too early. They opened up way too quickly. And now they're seeing a spike in cases because of it. And they're, you know, they're kind of, they're having more cases now than they did before they locked down. And I think that's an issue, right? And, you know, there were always going to be more cases after these states opened, right? But as long as it never got to the point where where we would have to go back to some of these, you know, stay-at-home orders, it would have been fine. And Florida is Florida's crazy right now. Like, And I think that the NBA rushing back to go back to – go back to playing in Florida, you know, I think, I think Kyrie's right. I think, I think we do need to, I think we do need to press pause and reassess what we're doing, you know? So I don't blame him for speaking out some of these concerns. And, you know, I think that, I think it'll be interesting to see going forward what, what happens, you know, this is kind of, this is uncharted territory for everybody. And I just wonder what'll happen what'll happen in the near future, you know, especially, especially if a player tests positive, you know, that's going to be, you know, are you going to cancel the whole thing or is the team going to be, you know, are you just going to eliminate the team? How are you going to compensate them? Right. I think there's going to be daily testing going on and they're all going to be living in this, this bubble. I think that's what they're calling it. The bubble at universal studios where even their families aren't even allowed in for a certain amount of time. So these guys, they're going to be tested daily if someone tests positive, that player is going to be self-quarantined for 10 to 14 days. And then I think automatically they're going to start testing their teammates and uh, guys that they played against. And it's funny, we were talking about this now because uh, Bleacher Report just 
tweeted out that Kyrie Irving proposed in a group chat with Nets uh, players that they could start their own league. So Kyrie Irving is potentially going off the deep end here. I, I don't even know what that means, that they want to start their own league. <laughs> I mean, he's a flat earther, so it doesn't surprise me that he came up with yeah, something. And and his concerns of not playing don't have to do with coronavirus. I mean, it's all about he he feels that they, the NBA can't play and push forward the Black Lives Matter movement at the same time. Um, And this really all seemed to just come about as he wasn't invited to that one phone call. So ever since then, he's been on this mission to derail the restart of the season. Um, And other NBA players have said this and said that, the platform of LeBron James after potentially a Western conference final game coming on TV with a black lives matter t-shirt in front of a global audience is more publicity than he would get walking down the street with a sign that that they can propel the movement like that, like with apparel merchandise and, Uh you know, make it all go towards those, those causes that that's the home run that you can hit with that. Yes. And Adam Silver is a smart enough guy to where I'm sure they're going to do this. Yeah, and even Valenti said today on the radio that what they could do as well is you see soccer, they have the Black Lives Matter movement uh, jerseys. So that's, they're having the names on the back. It just says uh, Black Lives Matter. You could put advertising on the court. You could have different commercials, uh, proposals of different uh, legislation that they want to get passed. So, I mean, I think really what needs to get done in terms of what players need from the owners is the owners need to step up and say, Hey, we're going to support the players no matter what they do. Um, In terms of if that's, if they need to have certain names on the back of their jerseys, whether they need to work with getting players to Congress in front of Congress to propose different legislation. So I think that's kind of the concern of some players is exactly what the owners are going to do to have their back. Yeah. But I'm not sure about this Nets starting their own league thing. It's yeah, I think that should, I, I don't. Uh, let's, <laughs> That's exactly. So, um, just come to a conclusion. <laughs> let's let's shift from uh, pro basketball to college basketball. Um, yesterday was the first day that coaches could ta- could contact members of the 2022 recruiting class, and um, Imani Bates. Um, stellar sophomore small forward from you may have heard of him him. yeah you may have heard of him if you're a Michigan State fan Um, from Ypsilanti um, one of the only coaches to reach out to him was Tom Izzo and I believe he called him at 12.01 a.m. he did so um, listen I I fucking hate making office references because but i'm do it you gotta do it come on go for it i'm ready to get hurt again like i'm just like i'm in (laughs) i'm fucking in i just i'm in he's coming he's He's coming coming. he's He's coming coming. he's coming and he's coming he's he's coming he's He's gonna be white he is i really do him max christie Oh. Pierre Brooks, we're we're Jayden, gonna be Jaden Akins. Jaden Akins, we're gonna be fucking oh. set, baby. We're we're Walmart coming. Rolling. It's it's coming. We're getting we're we're squatted up. God. I can not wait 
to well, be fucking crushed. Oh, it, it's going to be like Jabari Parker putting on that Duke hat will be nothing compared to this. We're we're ne- okay. I'm going to remain positive, and mm-hmm. um, I really I really have a good feeling about him because you know when when that one random college basketball Instagram account you know tweeted that stuff. Didn't Imani screen cap it and put the 100 emoji? Yeah, he yeah. posted. I know, I know he's a kid and he's, he, he could make a different choice, but fuck, I, I feel different about this one. And watch, you know, six months later, it's going to come crashing in your faces. But He'll be I, in Australia. I feel like the feeling, the <sighs> feeling is, is that us are pros. The one and done rule is going to be is going to be non-existent by the time Imani graduates high school. Oh. And I don't believe that's guaranteed. No. Um, I think that that's a lot more up in the air than, than people think it is, especially mm-hmm. with, especially with how fast NLI is moving. I mean, Florida signed a law, signed a law last week. And I believe, I believe it kicks in as soon as January. Yep. So what the, you know, the California law doesn't even kick in until like 2024 in Florida's Florida's law kicks in in January. So the NCAA is either going to have to one expel all Florida schools from the NCAA <laughs> two, just let NLI kick in in January nationwide and figure yeah. it out from there. Has to. And if they do that, then there might be less of a rush on the NBA end to, let to you know kind of get get rid of this one and done rule and if that happens then if i'm imani bates i look at it and i go okay i'm a candidate for reclassification i can't go straight to the nba after i graduate so why don't i just reclassify and go to college for a year and the only and the only school who has showed me any any love is tom Izzo at msu (laughs) <laughs> and I can make money I can make money while I'm in college and I'll be playing for a premier national program and I'll make way more money through the endorsements I'll make when I'm at MSU and the potential future earnings I make when I get to the NBA will be higher. You know, if I, if we go to the elite eight or final four or oh. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. I want one of those. Is about when we win the natty. When we win the natty. Lucas is about to bust a fucking nut. <laughs> and I, I think somebody in uh, the Bacon Wire, I think somebody in the Bacon Wire Network has mentioned it that it's estimated that Zion Williamson, by attending Duke and having the exposure he did, that oh. elevated his shoe contract or the endorsements he received once he uh, declared for the NBA mm. upwards of fifty million dollars. Yeah, that, that was, was our the impact uh, of the NCAA. That was our friend Tim at Luminati. Um, he doesn't listen to the pod anyway, so he's not gonna give a fuck yeah. whether or not we, whether or not we shout him out. But, but shout out, shout out to you, Tim. You I want, dick. I want all those guys. <laughs> I'm, we're due. We're due to have one of those runs that we just fucking crush everybody. Go like thirty nine and one. Hopefully, the one losses in the national championship game, like Kentucky. <laughs> But it'll be weird. You know, not not thirty nine one. It'll be it'll be a single digit heartbreaker in Assembly Hall. Oh. <laughs> yep. Or it, 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 we'll, we'll get our or we'll get our shit pushed in at Mackey. <laughs> I don't care if those are the two losses. I don't fucking care. We're due to have one of those classes where we just wreck shit. 
I'm sorry. I, I, can, I know I'm sounding I, cocky, but I'm I really want it. I want that. I want that feeling like the 2000 team. They lost a decent amount of games, but goddamn, when they were all healthy, no one was fucking beating them. And I want that again. <laughs> I miss Lucas. It. I I completely agree with you. And yesterday, the whole Amani thing, um, with Michigan State being the only school, like in his reaction on social media saying, oh, I guess colleges don't like Amani Bates, and then reposting some Michigan State sites. Um, and just based off of what I've read about him and even listening to his interviews that he's done recently where he describes himself as a killer, I think the fact that only one college reached out to him, he's going to take – he took that personally based on even the picture he posted to Instagram of, like, uh, the Planet of the Apes meme where the, the grill is, like, pissed. And that's like, I mean, this, and he just posted like dot, 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 and eye emojis. Like this dude is about it. So I think I feel more confident today or yesterday and today than I've ever been about Amani Bates potentially coming to Michigan state and the impact he would have coming to Michigan state with what we already, what we're going to have on the roster as well as some of the recruits coming in this, I, I'm not trying to like sound crazy here, this potentially would be the greatest college basketball team in the history of the sport. I'm, which if they win a natty, we'll lose, we'll lose in the elite eight. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll get our uh, let's fucking do a it. walk Are, on a walk on. We'll shoot a we'll shoot a three right in Amani's eye. <laughs> I'm ready to cry. I'm ready throw to cry. that right back. Oh, I mean, Amani in like I don't know what he averaged in. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out the dean. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Amani averaged this year in high school. But I think Kevin Durant in college at Texas for the one year, he was close to like 28 points a game. Imani's going to be over that. He's already more advanced, is more physically developed than Kevin Durant was, and he'll be playing with more talent. So, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's going to be averaging 30-plus points a game with guys like potentially Rocket Watts, Manny Sissoko, uh, Joey Hauser, Pierre Brooks, Jaden Aikens, like, you're, you're going to have such a great squad. And I, I really – I mentioned it earlier, um, Michigan State, they're almost in that Villanova type situation where I, they've been so close to winning they're that close. national championship that I think they will win two out of three coming up here shortly. Uh, like Once I said, get, Coach Fife, we're fucking due. Yeah. No, we're it's, it's going to yeah. happen. I, we were I, – I, I'll never, ever not believe we were going to win the national championship this year. We should have won it the year before, but apparently the stadium we played in in Minneapolis was 300 degrees and our players were basically dying on the court. Um, A fully healthy MSU team wins that championship. Completely agree. So So get the Imani Bates. Just just rip my heart out. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bacon wire Bates. Bacon wire Bates. (laughs) Get the T-shirts ready. Get the merch. Merch will be on the website shortly. With the Nike swoosh and everything, oh, oh we'll be his first endorsement. Oh, I'm re- Oh my God, <laughs> I'll sell a kidney. We have fifty dollars, but <laughs> oh, no, we're putting it in a fund for you. Hypothetical. Let's start a let's start a bail fund, and then we'll just use that money to pay for an Amani Bates endorsement. Yes, we'll funnel it because what is the Minneapolis one? They have way too much money. Yeah, funnel it. A- we might not want to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we want to. Whoops. I'm just kidding. Freedom bail funds do serve an important purpose in society. And, you know, as protests continue to go through this country, um, it's important that you find local bail funds to donate to. You know, I think Minneapolis, 
um, they said it, you know, we were just kind of overwhelmed with all the donations we got and, you know, they've been bailing out people who deserve it. You know, I think they said that they were like neo-Nazis who got arrested for, for, you know, looting. And, uh, they were like, <laughs> they asked the Minnesota freedom fund for bail money and they, and they told them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I would, I would find, you know, if you're, if you know, I mean, you know, if your municipality is still, actively protesting and you know that the cops are starting to get a little more aggressive um with with arresting protesters that you should that you should donate to bail funds yep but we, with that said the imani bates bag fund is wide open bacon yep. wire will be sponsoring that yeah we will be we will have an imani bates bag fund we'll figure it out <laughs> legally so um from the court to the screen uh, Lucas, you, uh, you'll take expose yourself. I fucking called it, didn't I? I said, I'm going to get old takes exposed like in a day. And, uh, sure as shit, tenant got pushed back a day later after the pod drop to my birthday, which is pretty fucking cool for right now. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath that it's going to, I wouldn't no, hold your breath I, I on that release date. I think it's destined for the October 2nd slot. And I think Wonder Woman is going to move to November 25th. And then Dune, I don't think they're going to put Dune at in Christmas time anymore. You know, I, I find it weird that when Warner Brothers announced the new release date, they were like, um, we want to keep it in July to like placate Christopher Nolan. Like yeah, Christopher Nolan, some kind of petulant child. I don't like like that. who wants his movie to come out in July. Like, why don't you just be honest and say you want to be the first? You want to be the first big release back after quarantine. You know what right. I mean? Like, it just like what the fuck does Christopher Nolan has elderly family members? Like, he understands the seriousness that COVID, of COVID nineteen. You know what I mean? He doesn't right. Like, he's not gonna. He's not a fucking super. He's not a person on Super Sweet Sixteen demanding that his fucking movie comes out in July. As long as his movie comes out in theaters, I'm sure he'll be fine. You know. Yeah, I just I want to see it, but uh, I'm starting to think. You know, let's just wait for the fall and go from there. And I really hate thinking that, but I just I like my local theater. I haven't seen anything from them since since March, and it doesn't look like they're going to have any any update anytime soon. So, well, I I think it's destined for October. Yeah, I believe um, Whitmer is targeting July fourth. Um, if everything holds and everything goes on the way for everything for like gyms and everything to open and for restaurants to go back to full capacity, I believe that she's targeting July 4th for that. Um, whether or option re-releases the litmus test, like if, if, if the turnout for that sucks, then tenant's going to take a quick pivot. That's just all I want to say. I'm done for now. Well, I think, I think there's going to be a few sacrificial lambs that are going to come out and, Mulan might be one of them. Yeah. Um, might be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen with Mulan because I guess Beijing's under lockdown now. So, um, it might end up on Disney plus. I really, the, I'm going to hit the home run there and say that. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. You know, um, no. it's kind of everything. So up in the air right now. And, and they, like uh, I think what Jeff said on LCB, they might have spent their marketing already, you know, 
and they might not want to allocate more funds to it unless they are 100% confident that theaters are going to be 90% capacity on in on July 24th. Yeah, I just I can't see a scenario in which San Francisco or New York City or LA um, have even theaters open by the end of July, let alone theaters that are equipped to handle the kind of the kind of traffic that a movie like Tenant is going to bring in. And like IMAX too. Yeah. So I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that Tenant is going to come out anytime before that October 2nd date. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, am, am I really okay with it? No, but I get it's bigger than a fucking movie. You know, it's cool that it's on my birthday right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Cause I'm like the two week is a test. And if theaters open and inception release is not really bringing anybody back, then, then Warner brothers is quickly going to make a move to October 2nd. It, it's, it's pretty much, I'd say 50, 50 at this point, it's a coin flip. Sorry, Brett. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, ultimately it'd be awesome if it came out on your birthday, but they're they're <laughs> gonna put it out in theaters whenever they can milk the cow as much as they can. So whether that's yeah gonna be sooner rather than later, I, we we don't really know. Who knows? As long as they do it right. I think that's what ultimately yeah. we all want. We want like I think being able to get excited about a movie and have that build up that I'm going to be in the IMAX theater to go see this. I think right. that's the experience that they really want to allow fans to have. So, I mean, it would suck if it gets delayed back to the the fall or early winter. But if, if we get to have that excitement, I think that's, that's a win for us. Yeah. I mean, this movie cost a quarter of a billion dollars to make. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Warner brothers is comfortable throwing it in theaters July 31st with the capacity they didn't, they, they don't like if it only costs a hundred million dollars, but there's way too much money tied in this thing for, for Warner brothers to, I think Warner brothers is just going to straight up tell Chris Nolan, if it's really all him, they're going to tell him, look, we're pushing this to October 2nd. Sorry. If you're mad, get over it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I think it'll be um, interesting um, to see, you know, as we get closer and as, you know, these, these large cities like New York, like San Francisco, like LA, they start testing the waters of reopening and you know, what, what'll happen. Um, the other thing movie wise, I want to talk about too. I said this, I, I tweeted this over the weekend. Um, I saw two movies this weekend. Um, I saw uh, the King of Staten Island, you know, Judd Apatow's new movie with uh, Pete Davidson and um, The Five Bloods, Spike Lee's new movie, which, oh, uh, which came out on Netflix. And the complaint coming out of both of those films was that they were too long. And listen, like, I, I hate when people, I, I, think, I think complaining about length is like, knuckle dragger film criticism because it's like it's like every movie every movie could probably save 20 minutes right every movie could probably have 20 minutes cut out of it but like you got to start asking yourself 
at what point is length intentional, right? Avengers Endgame could easily be 90 minutes, but it wouldn't be an enjoyable experience in 90 minutes. You know what I mean? Like any movie can be 90 minutes if you want it to be 90 minutes. But the problem is, is that like, there's things that filmmakers want to accomplish that just can't be accomplished in 90 minutes. And, you know, I think, um, you know, Chris Castellini reviewed um, The Five Bloods and, you know, I, I think, I think it was the first Spike Lee movie he ever watched because he was like, (laughs) his other main complaint was that it had the subtlety of a sledgehammer and like, that's what like, Spike Lee does. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, like, I'm like, so, so I was like, okay, you've never seen a Spike Lee movie ever. Did it go like, I, uh, I watched the five bloods and, uh, I'd say I'm not a fan. I don't like the way Spike Lee does his movies. It's a little too, uh, over the top, but, uh, not as bad as I thought it'd be. So we'll, uh, we'll go from there. And see when uh, baseball returns. Yeah, uh, no baseball in it, so that, that's going to negate some score from it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just think, you know, the Five Bloods is two and a half hours long, but Perfect. it, but you wrap yourself, but Spike uses that time to establish the relationship the characters have, these characters have with each other, with Vietnam, with America, with the war, and you know, I don't know if you haven't seen it yet, Lucas, but. Cassie and I are going to watch it uh, this week. Yeah, it is. It's it's great. You know, if you like Spike Lee movies, you're you'll have no problem getting through this one. And fucking Delroy Lindo, man, I heard he's amazing. Unreal, off the hook performance from him. You think he's best actor lead right now? Um, I don't know. I With think I think that if Netflix and Spike were smart, I think they'd throw him in supporting. I think. I think at supporting, I think at the supporting level, it's a fucking gimme. Might be easier, yeah. Oh yeah, like if you if you category fraud it a little bit, it's it's easily a gimme for best supporting actor from him. He is on fucking real. I I thought Black Klansman was the best movie of 2018, in my opinion. I thought that was a fucking great movie, and it it should I think it should have won best picture. Yeah, you know I think, you know the way Spike uses time. And, and the things that I'd be really, I'd be really interested, Lucas, you know, not that I'm going to like invite myself onto your podcast, but if you guys, yeah, I would like to talk, I would like to talk with Cassie about this because I would like to get her thoughts on some of the more, on some of the technical choices Spike makes. Right. Um, because he he plays with watch movies. It's fucking great. Yeah. She, um, you know, he does a lot of, he does a lot of ask and he makes a few choices, um, that um that i'm not going to spoil for you okay but um i think that the i think that there were really cool purposeful choices and yeah man delroy lindo was fucking incredible it was i was he has this like 15 minute like Macbethian monologue straight into the camera Mm. and like it it's like it's it's chills it's it's like up and down the spine sweet i can't wait to watch it yeah, it's it's pretty fucking great. Um, and then you know the King of Staten Island, Brett. Have you seen King of Staten Island yet? No, I I think I saw that you had a, a glowing review about that. Yeah, you know I'm a sucker. For, I'm an I'm an Apatow shill. You know, you stick anything <laughs> Judd Apatow has put his fingers in, and and I'm and I'm all the way in. You know, I even like fucking girls. <laughs> you know. Oh uh, yeah, but 
Yeah, this was <laughs> this was great. You know, Pete Davidson is like a legitimate actor. And, you know, this story, you can tell this story is incredibly personal to him. And he was on, um, Apatow was on Bill Simmons' podcast, and he was talking about, you know, Simmons kind of asked, you know, are we sure, or, you know, are we sure Pete Davidson is good? <laughs> are you sure Pete Davidson is good? Yeah. And, uh, no, he was asking, you know, like, how was Pete, you know, on set? Because, you know, he, for some reason, Pete has, like, this reputation of being difficult to work with. But, no, he was, like, he's, like, there every day. And, you know, Judd made a good point. Like, you don't get to be on SNL at age 20 and be, like, a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you got to have, like, the, you got to have a work ethic. Yeah. And Warren would kick him to the curb so fucking fast. Right. And, you know, Pete's not on SNL because he's off fucking starlets and, you know, <gasps> smoking weed and shit like they just like they don't they legitimately don't know how to use how to use him he's such a you he's such a unique he's such a unique talent with such a unique perspective and you know i think that really shone through in king of staten island and bill burr was unbelievable i mean i I wasn't expecting that out of him i really wasn't it was such a good dramatic performance from some guy whose whole stand-up career basically hinges on him being an angry white guy. <laughs> it was, it was great. Like he was, you know, he was like that for like three minutes, the entire movie. And I'm like, and I started to get a little unsure, but as soon as he came back and asked Marissa Tomei for coffee, I was, I was blown away. Yep. It was it wasn't incredible. stereotypical douchebag, angry guy. It was like, he has his problems, but you can see you can see him trying to work through them on the camera, and I, di- I didn't think Bill Burr of all people would do that. And I thought Bill Burr's funny for a long time. I remember him on Chappelle's show back in the day. Like he's a great, he's a really fucking funny guy. But I mean, I I thought about our little bicker with the length. You know, I was just kind of fucking with you too. But like, you know, I I kind of thought about it after I listened to Judd's interview with the boys and. You know, it was, you know, he's like, you know, he said that thing about criticism of it being sloppy and all that. And he's like, well, you know, sometimes that, that shit's done on purpose because Pete Davidson's not a perfect guy. He's a sloppy guy. And I kind of thought about that more and more. And, you know, I gave it an 85 out of 100, but I bumped it up to like a 90. I thought it was a, a great fucking movie. And I, I, Apatow don't miss. He, he don't miss SpongeBob meme. And, yeah. He's he's such a he's a great director, but he's even better writer. He writes amazingly funny dialogue, and Pete Davidson blew me away. I I was just expecting him to be himself, and he kind of is. But like, you can see he's he's really he. I think he's going to be a good actor. Yeah, for, Pete if Dav- you can write for him, like what SNL can fucking do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Pete. Da- yeah, I was I was blown away by him and you know he's had bit roles in other movies like he's like like i think he's like a roadie in like the motley crew movie oh and god like, i didn't watch that shit. he's in it he's in it for two minutes and basically the joke is that he married a girl tommy lee fucked in a bathroom <laughs> like <laughs> that's like that's that's like an entire joke and they stole that from wolf of wall street <laughs> like but you know he was in Trainwreck for a minute, and he was no, pretty that's good. Right. That's how that's how Judd you know kind of came across him. 
Bill Hader uh, directed him to SNL. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and Bill Hader was like, "Get this guy right now." And I thought Pete was incredible. Marissa Tomei was great as always. Marissa Marissa Tomei doesn't miss either. She's a realistic mom in this in this movie. No, yeah, she's not like Aunt May. Like she's like she's very like, and you know, I think I think having Pete Pete co-write it kind of helped a lot and they shot and you know judd was talking about how they shot it on staten island mm-hmm. and how pete was you know pete was location scouting and said we should use this place not that place that place not this place and it really helped give give kind of this realism to the to the film and i enjoyed it and frankly if you go into a judd apatow movie and expect it to be like a and expect it to be a tight propulsive narrative then i don't know how to help you at this point <laughs> like I remember going to watch funny people with my friends and I love my friends, but they thought it was going to be your stereotypical Adam Sandler, like fart joke movie shenanigans. And they did not like it. And I'm sitting there going, this is like his best movie in a long fucking time. I'll never forget being so pumped for those two. And I, you know, I, I didn't remember that they were roommates and all that shit. So it was just such an even cooler experience to watch a movie like that. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, going back on Funny People, I think it was cool how Sandler was kind of giving meta commentary on his own career, like in real time. I thought that was cool. Like he was like, like, like you can tell, yeah, you can tell that he kind of felt some contempt for like what he became. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I love the King of Staten Island. I yeah. love the Five Bloods. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I had new movies to watch this weekend. Um, I didn't watch Artemis Fowl. I'm not going to watch Artemis Fowl. I'm not going to waste my time on Artemis Fowl. I'm going to skip to the part where Josh Gad eats dirt and farts it out. I'll skip (laughs) to the part where Josh Gad eats dirt and farts it out. And then I'll give my review of that segment and that's it. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time on that piece of shit. I mean, I didn't, no. I didn't, Brett, did you read the books in, in school? I didn't. I was more of a Percy Jackson um, series of unfortunate events kid. Yeah. I, I love the series of unfortunate events and that Netflix series they did about it's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is really good. Um, but you, yeah, I guess, I guess like in the books, Artemis Fowl is kind of like this asshole supervillain, and okay. like they were like, and he's not like that at all in the movie. So, like, way to piss off, way to piss <laughs> off fans of the book, I guess. Um, oh, great. You know, 2020, the year of IP, of creators of IP pissing off their fans. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I saw a tweet I wanted to talk about. It was from Superhero News or some kind of, some kind of news site um, that, Warner Brothers isn't sure what to do with Superman. And I kind of get where I get where Warner Brothers is coming from. Because he's right? unbeatable. Well, I think it's not only that. I think the problem is that he's kind of like this white knight savior character, which is like is true, right? Like I'm not sure what you could do with Henry Cavill Superman at this point. Um, other than, you know, try to like force brainiac down their throats because you know you already did the death of superman you already blew that load so you can't go back and do the death of superman yeah did that way too fucking early that's a great story yeah 
get the um, bed all over it. You know, I, I brought this up. You know, it would require a, a radical recasting of Superman that'll send fanboys into oh. the worst re the worst <laughs> rage I think will I think the internet would ever witness. But I think an interesting take on Superman would be him being a person of color and how, you know, this society loves what he does, loves what he brings to the table, but rejects him all the same. You know, he's always, you know, he's always kind of, he's, he's in, but he's also out. And I think that would be a great story to tell. And I think if you make Lex Luthor, this kind of, fat orange bumbling racist <laughs> just have donald trump play him <laughs> yeah you know i don't know where i found inspiration for lex where i got that inspiration for lex luther um it just kind of popped in my head him being a fat bumbling orange racist um maybe he runs for president maybe he doesn't you know lex luther does does become president at one point in the in dc comics canon um but they've reset canon so many times. I'm not even sure where to tell you what canon that's in. But you know, I think I think the super. You know, my uncle reads a lot of comics, so I have a lot of comics. I have a cursory comics education, and I think you know, in like the late '80s to like mid '90s, um, Superman writers really played with the Jesus allegories. And, you know, Zack Snyder, you know, bringing up subtlety with the the subtlety of a sledgehammer. (laughs) You know, Snyder touched on those in his movies. But, you know, as someone who studied the Bible and went to Catholic school, I think think the more interesting take on Jesus is that he's this radical outsider who tries to change the system from within and is exiled for it. Yeah. And I think you can build an... I think you can build an awesome Superman story around that and not have it be, you know, him just taking names and kicking ass, you know, for two hours, you know, you don't have to invent a superhero. You don't have to invent this, this overpowered, crazy, crazy villain. It can just be like Superman is like fighting against the system he's trying to protect. Yeah. You know, I think that would be an interesting kind of dichotomy to go forward and wouldn't require you like trying to figure out how to work in Brainiac or fucking Dark Side or who the fuck ever. Steppenwolf and all that shit. Right. I mean, you can work them in, but I don't understand how they've messed. I mean, we got, I mean, there a couple of them weren't good, but we got four movies in like the late seventies, early eighties about Superman, and two of them are pretty fucking good. I, I it's like with Pete Davidson, like Warner Brothers just doesn't know what to do with this hero, and it's amazing how they've nailed Batman. I would say you nailed Batman twice because Keaton, you did it right. The first big blockbuster, superhero blockbuster, you did it right, and then Nolan. 20 years later, you do it, you do it right. But with Superman, I mean, I think the problem they're having is, you know, in Justice League, he's dead and then he comes back and it's basically a cheat code, beats the shit out of Steppenwolf, movie's over. 
and you really don't get much more out of Superman besides that. It's kind of like the whole thing with Captain Marvel and Endgame. Like, if they just had her, you know, they'd probably kill Thanos right away. But, you know, they wrote it to where she was gone, she was helping other people, all that shit. And I think I think DC just needs to pull the plug on Cavell. I hate saying it because I think he can be a good Superman. But I think they need to pull the plug and and reassess it. And I remember that rumor is a very radical rumor, like what two years ago about Michael B. Jordan talking to them. Yeah, they were talking about Michael B. Jordan, and I think I think I think they were talking about like Ava DuVernay was gonna. You know, was gonna be was gonna be kind of a creative force. You know, I would like to see something like that, or like a Middle Eastern actor. If you really want to hammer home the Jesus allegories, you know, I think I think a person, I think Superman being a person of color would be an interesting spin. But like I said, I mean, the people, the internet, the internet would be like it would, it would be completely toxic. So we're gonna get some kind of weird bullshit Brainiac movie. I mean, I'm wondering if if Spider-Man's ever going to fully introduce Miles Morales into the MCU. Well, I think I think Spider-Verse, I think Spider-Verse makes that very easy. Right. I think Spider-Verse like and Miles Morales, you know, might that might be another test like Warner Bros could look at and say, "Okay, what did the MC, what did Feige, what did the Hatman do right with yeah. Miles Morales?" And then literally just fucking copy it. <laughs> just copy it adapt it into a Superman angle and you have it. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine how interesting the first third of that movie is Mm -hmm. a black alien lands in the middle of Kansas. And like, that's, 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 that has the potential to be incredibly compelling storytelling, but it's gotta be written. It's gotta gotta be, yeah, it's, it's gotta have a great voice. It's gotta have a strong, it's gotta have a strong voice and it's gotta be, and you know they gotta have they gotta have the runway to be able to do it. And you know I think that's part of the problem is that Warner Brothers and DC aren't willing to give a creator that kind of runway. I mean they gave Nolan it, but there's no fucking way he'd come back to this. No. I thought it'd be great if he did someday, but. And I don't think Nolan's tone matches matches Superman either. You know I think Superman Superman needs to be more idyllic and i think that's kind of what they're missing Mm. it's like superman needs to have you know this kind of truth justice in the american way you know think about him but you know i can i can kind of understand warner brothers point like how do you portray someone who fights for truth justice in the american way when the american way is dishonesty and injustice right now I think they just push a hard reset button and come back in three. And I think you do that by having Superman be a person of color and have him try to, and have him try to protect a system that is actively trying to destroy him. Copy Watchmen. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically basically describing Watchmen. (laughs) But Superman. Watchmen was ahead of its time by nine months. That's just how fucking scary it is. Yeah, go back and watch it. Yeah, I mean, like, so I. You know, I think that Superman, you know, I think it's kind of ridiculous that Warner Brothers just like, what do you mean you don't know? You're a fucking studio. Your job isn't to know. Your job is to find people to know. So find the people who know how to write a Superman movie. It's not that fucking hard. 
Shazam, like Shazam Two. I think I think they're gonna shoe I think they're gonna shoehorn him into Aquaman. I believe that was the plan. That's stupid. I believe the plan is to just kind of have him be like a, hey, what's up, man? In Aquaman Two, but Trell brought it up on LCB. Like if Superman's in a movie, I want to see what the fuck Superman's doing. I don't give a shit about Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, I agreed with that a hundred percent. Like I'm, I. I want to see another Superman movie because he's a fucking amazing character. I I don't understand how they keep fucking this up. All right. So yep. that's it for our uh, non-Star Wars discussion. We're going to bring Mitch and maybe Trevor. I don't know. Trevor isn't responding to my DMs. But uh, we'll bring Mitch for sure on. And we're going to talk Empire. All right. Mitch is here. Trevor is here. Uh, we're here to talk Empire Strikes Back, um, which I believe is like one of the one of my ten perfect movies. Um, yep. I bet I I don't know how much more I can offer to the to the podcast other than other than it's it's a perfect film. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't want to bring up you know I don't want to do a Last Jedi argument right now, but I brought up I finished three weeks three weeks. I finished watching I finished watching Empire and then I just like I turned it back to like my cable box and the last Jedi was showing on TNT. <laughs> so like just like it was like the throne room scene. So it was like the last like 35 minutes. Ooh. And you know I was quite I was quite struck at you know at how kind of thematically similar those two movies are you know in both empire and less jedi like the heroes spend the entire movie getting their shit kicked in like they just lose they spend the entire movie losing yeah and and i thought to myself man i wonder what would happen if empire came out today Oh, actually, I got a video for that. <laughs> I was ready to uh, post it. <laughs> pro Last Jedi video and had like someone used like he used the, like all the angry nerd voices that would what would people say if Empire came out this year? I actually got it ready to go for it. <laughs> it's yeah. actually entirely accurate. Last and, Jedi episode is going to be insane. So. But we're not talking about Last Jedi. We're talking about Empire. I've got notes again. I don't know how you want to do it, but oh, just let's let's keep rolling with you. Okay, they're a lot shorter because, like, episode three, I had like probably a couple pages worth. But um, I noticed one thing about the music when the crawl comes on. There's a little bit of a different kick right before it goes to the, or right when it's about to go the dun dun dun. Dun, dun, the final um, sequence of it. It's, it's a little more epic in this one. And right from the beginning, I can just tell, like with this fucking movie, it is everything a sequel should be. Bigger, better, and it's. I think it's much more well shot and consistent compared to A New Hope, obviously, because Lucas, he wasn't steering the wheel for the entire movie. You know, he wasn't the director, but, you know, I just think it's it's much more fine-tuned and sharp. That's just my immediate observation. I don't know how what you guys thought when you saw it again, because this is the first time I watched this movie in probably 15 years. Oh, wow. Jesus, really? Yeah. 
I know. I, I took it for granted, and I'm a big simp for, for, Empire, for Empire Strikes Back, and I always thought it was a fucking amazing movie, but I, yeah, uh, I, I need to watch uh, this more often. I'm, I'm weird, and I, I just watch things over and over and over. I've, like, I've probably seen I've seen, like, Miracle probably, like, 200 times. I mean, like, I'll watch oh. it again and again and again. Anytime it's on, like, Remember the Titans, I've watched hundreds of times. Like, uh, I can, so, like, I watch, you know, I'll go through the Star Wars movies at least once a year. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll get bored. Nothing's on TV. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll throw one. Throw something on <laughs> MCU, whatever. Mm. Um. Put this in as my background. Uh, <laughs> in my old Facebook photo or cover photo. Man, you know, Han pretty much admits that he's a simp for Leia because he's just like, admit it, you love me and all that shit. And Leia just like is playing the hard, you know, hard to get. And she just can't admit that she simps for Han too. Like they're just, they're destined for each other. And right off the bat, you, I don't know why, but just, just, just lean into it. Um, and a couple more observations about Han. Even though he was reluctant, I thought he was a pretty good. I think his general wasn't wasn't that his title in this movie at the beginning. Uh, no, I think I think it was captain. Captain. Okay. Uh, I think he was a pretty good captain. I mean, they really wanted him to stay, and he just didn't have the. He he wanted to go. You know, he just he felt like he was wearing out his welcome. You know, that's just how Han Solo is. But, man, even though it didn't end well for him at the end, he had a lot of big dick energy in this movie. Like, he was just like, you love me, you know it. Like, he's just bossing Chewy around. He was very, very um, – a much more confident Han, even more confident than A New Hope, where he was just this cocky asshole. Yeah, no, Han was definitely dripping in swagoo. 100 emoji. Sorry. He was he was wearing shorts that that red hype piece across the crotch, <laughs> <laughs> with the Millennium Falcon right behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get someone to do that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we talked about how much of a cock blocker C three PO was too on the Falcon. <laughs> yeah. I would I would have shut that motherfucker off. I just would have found. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually did. <laughs> Yeah, doesn't Leia like push the back of his neck and just gun? I don't think we can I don't think we can talk about this movie without talking about the kiss. And Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm oh yeah, I, I got to it. Um okay. my observation is oh another kiss, this time with tongue. And Luke is like leaning back after he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He gave like a little. I see you. I see you. I just a little light incest. No big deal. Yeah. Um. I may have committed some light. I'm Han. I may have committed some light incest, but I never interpreted. I never interpreted that kiss as like some kind of inkling of romantic chemistry between Luke and Leia. I think. No, she was just trying to piss off Han. Yeah, she did it to piss off Han. Han was like the drill tweet. I'm not mad. Yeah, he 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 he, put in the newspapers. I got mad. (laughs) Yeah, she wanted to. She wanted to knock him down a peg. He was getting a little bit too big for his britches, and she wanted to remind him who his boss. He was a stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, and man, people still fucking doubt Darth Vader. Like, I know he's a little bit of a loose cannon, but what the fuck, man? That one animal just gets uh, force choked through the TV screen, which is pretty fucking awesome. That was awesome. He, he just goes, all right, you guy, you're the admiral now. <laughs> I it, was think so, it was a power move. Like, if Darth Vader had a performance review, it would be like, you do promote a lot of people, like, in positions, but you kill a lot, too. You know, that's your one problem. <laughs> That's how I love about Empire in this case because Vader pretty much was the Empire in this movie with just some chat with the Emperor because in the first one, you kind of saw he was on a leash with Grand right. Mark Hogan. Vader, yeah. release him as you wish. And mm-hmm. this time, it's like, no, I'm, I'm fuck you. You failed. I'll choke you. And he just yeah. didn't take the shit from anybody. Oh, I loved it. Vader was so fucking amazing in this movie. And- I think... Sorry, Lucas. No, go ahead, Jerry. No, I'm I'm gonna launch us off on a tangent. So finish your thought. Okay. Um, One of my favorite robot chicken sketches of all time (laughs) is the one where Palpatine's at his office and Vader calls him, and he goes, "What do you mean it's destroyed?" (laughs) That's one of my. That's or I'm gonna tell everyone how you pitched about Padme or Panda Bear or whatever the. That is the him too. Yeah, <laughs> the that's the favorite. That's my favorite sketch. He's like, "What the hell is a what the hell is an aluminum falcon?" <laughs> oh my god, I need to watch those again. Those were so fucking good. I, that was I was, but that's all I can think of when I think of like Vader's transition. Is like <laughs> he got pitched out by Papalty. Now he's just like give no fuck. Um, and I did like the kind of build up oh no I'll talk about that in a minute but you know I wanted I really want a hug from Chewbacca like I was really disappointed at the place I went to that you couldn't go up to Chewie and hug him I really wanted to like what place place would that be Lucas I'm not going to talk about it because you're just going to give me shit (laughs) it's a world in Florida uh I went to a, a planet called Batu, but no, Chewie walks around with stormtroopers or with uh, Ray, and I was like, Ray, I, I asked, like, can I can I give Chewie a hug? And they're like, no. I'm like, what the fuck, man? So do they just have Daisy Ridley on retainer? Like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, just in a cage, and they're like, okay, your shift starts right now. She's no, got to use the fucking underground tunnel. She passes by Mickey Mouse just ripping a cig. Just ripping some heaters. Like, <laughs> no, it's a girl who looks just like her. I mean, okay. dead on. But, and, but she, like, talked to, like, little – there was, like, a little girl there dressed as Ray, you know, talked to them. But, like, yeah, you couldn't touch Chewie. A little bummed out. But um, the snow battle – when the when the emperor uh, empire knows they're there, you know, with the big AT, is that the ATST? ATAT. Yeah, ATAT. ATST is the little one. Yeah, small train. Okay, um, that was just fucking amazing. I'll never forget playing. Uh, what was it, Rogue Squadron? Uh, or was it M- Shadows of the Empire? No, it wasn't Shadows of the Empire. But one of the Nintendo 64 Star Wars games, I think it was Rogue Squadron, where you had to, where you had to use the joystick to to turn around to trip the uh, ATAT. And that was so fucking hard. But man, 
the the music's good like it's a lot different from the rest of the movie too which i like it's got a lot more um it's more better i don't know what the fuck to say yeah you know there's not um there's not a wasted anything in this movie no. you know like a new hope felt like that only out of necessity you know what i mean yeah like a new hope kind of had like this indie this kind of indie feel where like nothing was wasted because nothing could be wasted no and an empire strikes back like it was just like a well-oiled machine firing on all cylinders not a line of dialogue not a set not a character not a nothing is wasted in this film everything everything serves the plot everything moves the plot forward everything progresses the story Mm -hmm. that's my next note is that the movie like it's just i had random observations about the fucking movie while i was watching it like the movie just gets right into it. Like maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes into it, you had this big ass snow bottle or snow bottle, <laughs> snow battle. It's it, that's part of why it's just so amazing. It just the logo, of the movie crawl, boom, here you go. Have fucking fun. It's like a roller coaster. Like you just like you're dropping the whole time. You're going on the loops and it's fucking amazing. Um, it, they, sorry, the game was shadows, shadows of the empire. By the way, it is shadows of the empire. Thank you. Um, I thought Rogue Squadron, but no, that's just X-wing combat and all that. Also, I think I think they have a similar mission in uh, Dave and Buster's staple Star Wars arcade. Oh, I was gonna get to that. Um, I'm gonna get to that in a little bit, or not in a little bit, like pretty quickly. Um, or no, Return of the Jedi. I was gonna say, but yeah, I remember playing that game at. Um, there was a place in Portage called Putt Putt or Putters, and uh, rest in peace. It's a auto dealer now but like i could always i always would do well until i face darth vader at the end because i don't do inverted controls for my video games and it basically made you do inverted controls to try and beat him and so i would lose at the end of that game every fucking time and i'd beat it i'd kick ass until that point um and then and my next observation uh so i'm gonna say Yoda. Um, and I forgot about, I know George Lucas, you know, definitely edited with new hope quite a bit, but I forgot about him editing in um, the new look emperor Palpatine in the hologram. Like the one that looks like episode three, like right when he gets transformed into like the old ass version of himself. Yeah. I believe, um, I believe he had Ian McDermott do that. I believe he had he and McDermott do that while they were shooting episode three. Makes sense. Okay. Um, and I think, and I guess I'll find out when I watch um, Return of the Jedi next week. But I believe Ian McDermott is in is in Return of the. I believe they just like put Ian McDermott in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, originally um, in the 1980 cut, it was the actor like in the suit and the makeup was a woman they had like this oh some creepy makeup and it was a different voice and then they got Ian McDermott for Return of the Jedi I think he was almost 40 years old it seems so weird for 1983 to for him to be casted in that but yeah the 1980 cut originally was like a woman in the suit interesting I'll have to I remember watching that cut of the Empire Strikes Back 
Um, and this is just a random observation. You know, Yoda has that little hut that he lives in, but where did he shit and piss? Did he just go into the swamp and dump it out? Well, that's why it looks so muddy, man. When R two is getting stuck in there. <laughs> um, I believe he just. I believe he just. I believe he just force pushed it somewhere else. Um, I believe all ancient Jedi did that until they adapted some kind of indoor plumbing. Like Harry Potter wizards yeah, can uh, just that's, expel their... Yeah, they can just disapparate their shit. <laughs> um, oh, I totally forgot. Oh, now this is just touching on episode nine. I'm not going into that fucking movie. But I totally forgot another member Barry's moment in that movie is when Yoda lifts the ship out of the swamp. Like, that's how long it's... Like I said, it's been a long time since I watched this movie. So I just was like, huh, okay. Luke does that for Ray, but okay. It's poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> it, they literally copy <laughs> pasted. Cut out Yoda, insert Luke. Um, you know, like, and Yoda gets all pissed that Luke's going back to help his friends, and Obi Wan's coming back like, "Hey, come on, man, you got to stay." Like, but like, but but if you go, make sure you don't give in to temptation. Make sure you don't give in to Vader. And it was kind of like he dropped out of college early and like he has like his dad or like his parent just like, man, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. I'm so, you're such a disappointment. I just thought that was kind of a funny comparison to, to add in. They're just like, come on, man, what are you fucking doing? And they're like, oh, well, they're going to be in danger anyway, even if you're there or not there. Um, but that just wasn't Luke. Luke was not one to and, – and younger Luke was not one to just sit there and let his friends get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think the puppet Yoda is way better than the CGI Yoda. I really He's, do. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that um, Lucas didn't touch Yoda in any of the special editions, right? Because I know the temptation was there, and um, I thought that that was an incredible show for strain on Lucas's part to not put in CGI Yoda. Yeah, I'm not sure what kind of agreement he had with people or what but um i'm i'm very i'm i'm very happy that he did that he left that he left yoda alone just looks it looks pure yeah and this is another thing i i really don't think there were many changes besides besides ian mcdermott i don't know if there were any changes made at all i didn't see anything that like stood out to me maybe trevor or mitch can notice some, but that, that was the only blatant, the blatant ones were the ones that stuck out to me with this one. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know if they made any more special edition updates beyond, beyond putting Ian McDermott in, into the hologram scene. Okay. Anything else? I know one thing stood out because it was still when they theatrically released them in 97 for the, the special editions. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back was the least edited, but they had one moment that stood out, and then it was so well hated that they took it out. When Luke falls off after Vader tries to seduce him and join him, when he jumps, he makes this terrible scream noise. Scream! Yeah, they they added a scream noise when he's falling. Oh, no. like, he like a like a Wilhelm scream, or like <laughs> you know what it is? Actually, it's the same scream Palpatine has when Vader throws him off in Return of the Jedi. No fucking joke. You can see it. It's the same scream. It's, it's oh absurd. And that's why they took it out after that. Good. Yes, thank God. He pretty much knew not to mess with perfection. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, you know, and then you got the biggest Mandela effect moment in pop culture history with uh, the whole Luke, I am your father scene. Oh yeah. yeah. That's, 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 um, that's crazy. Um, you know, I remember. <coughs> you all right? Yeah. Just, I'm good. Okay. Rona. Yeah. <laughs> um, and man, Lando lays it on thick for Leia. Fucking horny on main for her. It's well, like, yeah. And then you, you don't you don't really get like that good of a look at how like much of like a smooth talker Lando is until right. until Solo. Yeah. Between Solo and Empire and Return of the Jedi, is Lando Calrissian the horniest character in the Star Wars universe? Hmm. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, he's in. He's in Rebels too. Oh shit, that's right. Is he yeah, horny as Re- fuck? Is he horny as fucking Rebels? Yeah, yeah, he's still a smooth talker, swindler, <laughs> in Rebels. Same, same shit. I think Jabba was low key horny in uh, Return of the Jedi. I have observations about that. I already watched Return of the Jedi again, so I have oh, no buddy. I I have some um I have some relevant. Um, some relevant observations to make about Chop of the Hut. When we get when we get to that movie, yeah, yeah. Let's just oh, say God. they involve a certain movie producer. <laughs> oh God! Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I wonder what Darth was thinking when he was sitting in that um, that dining room, waiting for Han and Leia and three PO and all those guys. Um, you know, because he, I don't know if he can eat anymore. He probably can't. But I wonder if a part of him just kind of had like a trigger flashback to when he could eat food and just like, <clears throat> fuck, this looks really fucking good. Oh, shit. I can't eat anything. <laughs> yeah, Mitch and Trevor, you guys are more legends. You guys are more well-versed in, oh, yeah. you know, kind of like the extended universe legends expanded canon than we are. Like, how does Vader eat? Like, is it like an IV thing or like, how does he... What's his deal? Mitch could actually tell me that. I I honestly don't know. IV makes the most sense. Given what I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they show it in anything. Hmm. Where does his poop go? Like, does he just have like <laughs> a? Does he have a colostomy bag? He's got to have a colostomy yeah, bag, house. right? Like something in that probably, chamber. Yeah. <laughs> it's with the toilet too in that chamber. <laughs> While we're waiting for for Han for Solo and the princess, I have to take the biggest shit. There's <laughs> 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 another great Rebel chicken sketch where the scene happens. He you know, blocks the blast from Solo. He's like, "You will be joining us," and then they just start eating dinner. Popcorn <laughs> 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 shit. <laughs> yeah, they just start eating dinner. Like, no, you're literally going to join us. Put the gun down. We're going to eat dinner. And then I'm going to arrest you, but come on. Um, and I don't know what Hondo or Lando, Hondo, God, I said fucking Hondo. <laughs> oh, I need to take a break. Um, <laughs> stitch on the Star Wars logo if he were in the movie. Um, what, what made Lando think the Empire wouldn't keep altering the deal? I mean, it's a great line from Darth, but like, what does he think a handshake agreement with clearly this this mass murdering force that powers or that rules the whole galaxy is going to do whatever the fuck they want like he's going i thought we had a deal 
pray I don't alter it any further. Like, dipshit. Come on, man. You run Cloud City. I mean, you, it's like you just have never seen the, M- the Empire before. Like, really? What the hell, man? And my last observation is the fight between Vader and Luke. I, I forgot how fucking amazing that, that fight is. Like, it it's a great contrast to, like, Luke thinking he's ready when he's taking off on the X-Wing. And he's like, I'm not going to fuck this up, guys. Come on. Uh, it's like Han, it's me, like in, in Empire <laughs> or in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> you know, and, and Vader is just like it's like a cat and a mouse type of game, like just toying with him, throws all that shit at him, and Luke can't do anything. Like he's he's not even close to being ready. And then, excuse me, Vader fucking owns him by chopping his own son's hand off, which is pretty sick pretty twisted as as uh people say and um, it's just a skywalker tradition yeah yeah you know like it happened in uh what attack of the clones that fucking movie and then this one you know we the two are very comparable uh not really but um and as a person named lucas this line i f- <laughs> i love it like i remember watching it when i was a kid and like my jaw was on the floor, like, holy fucking shit, it's his dad? And, like, but my God, throughout, I went to, you know, I went to Catholic school, so very, like, a class of 12 people, like, in my class in, in Catholic school. It was really cool having the same, like, 11 people every fucking time, like, they wanted to say, hey, Luke, I'm your father. And it's like, that's not the line. I, I'd literally tell them that, like, I'd be me, it's like a nine-year-old. That's not the line. That's not the line. So you got your carry. You were you were Karen in early, <laughs> is what you were t- is what you're telling us. You were, <clears throat> jackass. <laughs> you're like young Mister Slave, just getting after it early. <laughs> Christ, these are Christ. <laughs> hey, let's beat up the queer kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I want to watch that again. Um, but, like, that whole scene, like, the the power, like, when that whole monologue Vader gives about just, like, join me. We he You can kill the Emperor. You're going to kill the Emperor. He can see it. Like, kill him and let's hook up. Let's be best friends. Let's be pals. Let's be father and son. Let's go hang out, pal around, do a bunch of cool shit together. And that line, this, no, I am your father. And then the, the, the music builds up, and I just could – I was in awe again. Like, I watched it for the first time ever. Like, it – my God, blew me the fuck away still, and it's, what, 40 – it's 40 years old. And it's 100 out of 100 for me. It really is. Well, it's just it's, – it's just nuts because of, like, how everyone remembers it. It's just, like mm-hmm. – like, but, like, when you say it in your head, like – it, it's not, it's not, like, when you say in your head, you're like, it's like, Luke, I am your you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, they make it, and, and like, in our brains, we've made it this, like, and it was an epic moment, it was 100% epic, epic moment, right. but in everyone's brains, it's like that, and when it's really like, Luke, more dialogue, I'm, I'm your dad, like, it's just like, cool. a, 
Well, like Tommy Boy, when Chris Farley's talking to the fan, he's going, Luke, Luke, I am your father. Like, stuff like that. People think it's that line. And I love Tommy Boy. It's a bad movie, but I fucking love it, so I'm going to allow it. But And it's, I think it's really funny listening back to these pods when we're like, yeah, Lucas fucked all this up. Lucas really messed this up. It's like, I just want to make a PSA that it's not me in case someone is that oblivious to Star Wars. It just makes me – it's just funny to think about, like, yeah, Lucas really fucked this up. No, yeah. we do mean you. Lucas okay. Whitney. Lucas Whitney is responsible for the prequels. And I just want to get out ahead of that and let everyone know. Oh, yep. I'm responsible. Feel for free that. to feel free to give him shit on both the Bacon Wire Pod and the uh, the Twitter weekly machine. Whitney. The weekly Whitney. <laughs> uh, Fire up those Twitter fingers and let Lucas Whitney really know what you think about the prequels. Sounds At good. MSU devotee. Let's do it. Um, but it's a hundred out of a hundred for me. It is. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. It's everything uh, the sequel should be, and it's it's a great movie on its own. Yeah, the and the first three were just bangers. Yeah, they're, they're so good. I mean, Return of the Jedi, I can see where people don't like it as much, obviously, but I still fucking love the shit out of that movie too. I love a good redemption story, so I'm I'm really excited to talk about that one next. I don't like Brett. You've been pretty quiet. Like, do you have thoughts on Empire? Like, as a person who's never seen these i i'm really curious to see your opinion on this movie especially since we all think it's like perfect yeah i tend to agree with you guys it's funny because going into this i kind of let some of my other star wars friends know um that i'm going through and watching these and they said okay let us know what you think after uh episode five so i kind of had an inkling that that was their favorite and after watching it i share the same thoughts as them i thought it was i mean like you guys said, it, it's a near-perfect movie. I thought it was incredibly well done, every aspect of it. Um, just, I mean, Darth Vader is so cool. Like, everything that guy does is just so cool. So, like, when you said when he did the chokehold through the screen or whatever, like, that was sick. I mean, the whole being introduced to Yoda, like, my thoughts of Yoda, like, before watching the movies was way different than what he actually is. Like, he was just, like, this goofy little guy. But, like, in the movies, like, he's actually, like, a Jedi master. So it was kind of cool seeing that. Um, and then the end of the movie where you kind of see uh, Han Solo get carbonized. I thought that was super cool. Like, they just kind of threw him in that hole. Um, I thought the movie was just, like, it was perfect. And it really made me understand what the hype about Star Wars really is all about. That, that's perfect, man. And... Why you brought up the carbonite scene, you know, the di- iconic, I love you. I know. <laughs> Guess who or, wanted to buy those shirts when we were going to Disney World? My fucking I, wife did. I would have ripped you. I would have just. Oh. I, it would have been open season. I said, no, been, like, I said no. And she goes, why? Like, and it felt like a Seinfeld observation. I'm like, let's count how many fucking couples are there with those shirts. And she wasn't mad. I'm like, no, we got different shirts, like just Star Wars shirts that we both liked that were different from each other. But because, you know, on our honeymoon, we wore Mr. and Mrs. shirts to Disneyland. So I was like, we got we to gotta spread these out a little bit. But, um, and oh my God, <laughs> the first day we got there and we went to Galaxy's Edge, I lost count. I mean, it was like, boom. We went to Hollywood Studios and boom, 
I love you, I know. I love you, I know. Like, oh, my God, I just had to bring that up because it's such a great line, but, like, seeing all those T-shirts, I'm like, man, the novelty's worn off. But then I watch this movie again, and it's just as powerful as when I watched it, you know, when I was a little kid. While we're on the subject of T-shirts, I just, you know, this is this is something that popped into my mind. Um, I know the metrics of the people who listen to this podcast. So, gentlemen, your friends are going to start getting married. Um, you know, if you want, um, I have a, I was able to clip down that scene from Big Daddy. It's like a two second clip where he goes, you're not proposing, are you? <laughs> I've been getting a lot of mileage out of that one. Think um, about it. D- reach out to me. I'll send it to you. I'm just saying, think about it. <laughs> uh, that and, might be my favorite Sandler movie. Yeah. Let, we'll talk about Sandler movies one day in the future. Yeah, we, we should do like a reflection on his career type of pod. That'd be pretty cool. But oh, um, absolutely. Anyway, anyway if, you, if you go to a bachelor party and someone brings up the idea of getting matching shirts, it is not only – it is not only your right, but it is your duty to shoot that down at every turn. Uh, yeah. There's no way I was wearing an all-black I love you, I know shirt at Disney World when it's like 85 degrees humid and it feels like 110 degrees and I'm already a big, thick boy and you know I will go to the hotel room and wring off the sweat on my shirt. I just immediately saw that when she's in my head, when she said we should get those shirts, I'm like, look, I, I like, I like the idea. I, I like the product. I like you. I don't like the product. <laughs> Pretty much what I said. No, but uh, ser- seriously, fellas. Yeah. If I'm, you're, if you're, if, if someone in your, if, if you're invited to a bachelor party and someone in that bachelor party is, is suggesting that you all get matching shirts, you nope. should, not only should you do everything in your power to shoot that idea down, you should treat that person with extreme prejudice going forward. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking full out Greg Hent. He is he is your personal <laughs> Greg Henson going forward. Too far. <clears throat> no. I can't oh. had to like couples accounts on here. <laughs> <laughs> like Tom and Nancy Smith, like the Tom and Nancy are all one. I love those accounts on Listen, Facebook. Listen, I hate boomers, but I think it's cute when grandparents, when grandparents are like, when grandparents comment and is like XOXO love Nana. Like, I just think that's cute because like, I know it's you. I know you're my grandma. Yeah. Those are fine. But like when it's freaking, <laughs> when it's the joint accounts, the joint accounts are the worst. The name cracks me up though when they do like the like Tom and then N and then Nancy or whatever, you know, whatever the names are and then their last name. That's what cracks me up is like they thought they were so edgy or so hip with it <laughs> that they decided to do that for their account. But on the matching shirts, um, no, like I did a bachelor party for my buddy when he got married before me and I – I thought about it for like a split second and I'm like, no, no one's going to wear those fucking shirts. Why should I invest the money in it? And same thing with my bachelor party. He was like, cause you know, we were going to the Utah state game and he's like, do you want us to get matching shirts? I'm like, no, 
if people have green, wear it. That's it. Like, I'm not going to make you do those things just to, just to appease me. You're already there for me. I'm not going to make you do extra shit. So that's my take on matching shirts with Spartan Dog. Hey, speaking, speaking of shirts, if uh, anyone can find us a Michigan State stepdad <laughs> shirt, we definitely should, please hit up Spartan Dog 97 on Twitter or MSU Devotee. Bacon Wire Boys are in dire need. One of our brothers has become the dad who stepped up. Is she get, Wait, did she have the kid already? No, no, no. It's no. Uh, September. Okay. August. Oh, my shit, God. There's a Michigan State accounting shirt. There's got to be a fucking stepdad shirt. What no, if, there's not. I looked. I couldn't find any. There are a bunch hey, of dad shirts. Hey, what if what if she gives birth on a game day? <laughs> He won't be there. Well, he'll be there. He'll be there if if we're not in the state. We're not going to be in the stadium, so he'll probably be there. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. His his parents planned their uh their uh, renewing their wedding vows. They planned it on a either a bye week or an away week, purposefully because they knew that he he wasn't coming if it was on a game week. Yeah, he, skipped his, he skipped his uncle's wedding back when in Oregon came to town. But okay, it was like but hold on. Wedding. Yeah, I was going to say, his uncle's like third wedding. So, I yeah. mean, like, you know, at that point, it's just ridiculous. Like, there's um, a Michigan State dad shirt. If we could just get that to say stepdad, that'd be perfect. I know. You know what? I bet I bet we can hit up our girl, um, Kayla. Yeah. Ooh, and have her put it, make it on the cricket? I'm yeah. I bet. I bet we can. I bet we can get that done. I bet we can get it made. We need. We need that. Yeah. We can Brown, get it made. Green, green, sh- green shirt with white lettering. Yep. I'm, I don't want to get him white. I don't want to get him white shirt. You guys have seen his room. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough. <laughs> I'm seeing All if right. we can get a customized shirt. All right. We're going we're gonna to figure this out off pod. But for Brett, for Lucas, Mitch, Trevor, I'm Sparring Dog 97 um, We'll talk to you guys next week. Go green. Hawaii.
Yeah.